Welcome to Desire and Brethren Podcast. I am Tanner Hawks. I am Jackson O'Brien. We are without Dave once again. Uh, this time Dave actually received an email from a Nigerian prince <laughs> that if he only did uh, you know, certain steps, uh, involved some transactions, he would regain his kingdom, a big inheritance. We'll update you as that progresses. But while Dave is gone, um, reclaiming his wealth, we are joined once again for a second episode by the most official guest we have ever had um, in some ways. Although Chris Lance is always very official. Hmm. Super official, in fact. We have <laughs> Ellie Krogman. We have Ellie again, who was Jackson and I's Bible school teacher at Mount Carmel. Jackson, any, any fond memories uh, of Ellie at Mount Carmel? <laughs> You know, Ellie had a way of showing me the world and <laughs> what is that telling me yeah. about Edmonton. And yeah. there's one, I think there's one hamburger place that we went to that was kind of by the yellow head on the north side. And I think oh. that it closed or something mm-hmm. like What's the that. Name? It did. It had like huge plate sized burgers and it was Clint's favorite. Oh, Clint told yeah. me about it. Yeah. I forget what it's called. Oh, but... that's good. My memory is that in Carmel, the only thing I remember, you were great, but I remember a conversation <laughs> where you said something about following the Sabbath. And I remember getting really upset because I was like, that's law, that's Old Testament, mm. Christians don't have to follow that. It was like, I could not believe that a Bible school teacher believed in the Sabbath. Wow. And then, you know, eight years later or whatever, like, the Sabbath is like one of my most treasured <laughs> possessions mm. in the world. And so I've totally come around on it where I was like, oh, wow, I was so arrogant after high school and being able to be like, huh, Sabbath, not so bad. Yeah, I'm glad <laughs> to hear that. That's no, that's good. Yeah. So it takes a while, but your teaching does um, slowly, slowly. <laughs> hey, Tanner, dissolve. eight more years and you'll let something else that's arrogant about you go. No, that's what I was about to say. I'm probably going to disagree heavily with Ellie on this podcast, but give it eight years' time and I will be on board. Ellie, I'm assuming we were your favorite class. First class, you know, first kiss, Mm. that kind of thing. It's always very special. Uh, Tell us about how great our class was. (laughs) I I was probably terrified probably 80% of the time and overwhelmed, but... um... Yeah. See, that's amazing to pull back the curtain because, you know, we obviously assume you're all very confident and right. totally, competent. Yeah. Right. You were scared when we were scared. This is a lesson. They should make a VeggieTales on this moral lesson. Mm-hmm. Um, so Ellie uh, went to Regent where I am now and where her husband Aaron is now. And when she was at Regent was thinking a lot about a certain topic dear to her heart Uh, Maybe you would call it like a theology of brokenness, or you said vulnerability in the process of sanctification, Mm. or something like that. And you wrote a big old paper on it. Most people are never able to use the papers they write in (laughs) master's or PhD. They go completely to waste. But look at you. You were podcasting on (laughs) it. You made it, Ellie. Here it comes to fruition. It's amazing. (laughs) So, Ellie, talk about what is a theology of brokenness? Yeah, I actually had to reread this paper because I it's something that I care nice. a lot about, but all the all the details and kind of um how I came to it 
eluded me. So, um, yeah, I think a theology of brokenness is just basically humility. And it's when we uh, mm. say that we have most in common with the rest of humanity and with the rest of of the church, really, um, is that we are in need and that we are frail. So focusing more on our creatureliness and God as creator. So noticing the divide. Um, yeah, I think that's, that's maybe no, what that's a, that that's a good breakdown of what it is. What turned you on to it? What did you, have you always thought this way or was it something that just, yeah, how did you get to there? One of the major things that I focused on at my time at Regent and just kind of, I stumbled across these courses and they, I thought they were really cool. So one of them was a course on, um, Trinitarian theology. Oh, so talking my about the goodness. And, yes. And, oh, Trinity. <laughs> don't. That's the, that's the buzzword at Regent right now. Trinity. <laughs> what do you mean? It's, oh, right now it's just a irrelevant thing to talk about. <laughs> I love calling that a buzzword. That's terrible. Okay. Trinitarian theology. Yeah. Anyway. So just this idea that we were created to need others because God is a social being, the three in one. So anyways, this has shaped how we under, how I understand community and the necessity of the other person to actually, I only know myself if I am known by others. Um, kind of the thing that we do as a church that is um, core is the Lord's Supper and um, that this is the thing that should sustain our communities. And actually it's that we are, the, we are guests and that we are, mm. again, only in need. And um, we have nothing to give, but we are all need. Okay, right out of the gate, Ellie. I'm bouncing on this ball in Dave's <laughs> basement because the exact opposite sort of kind of, I want to say, I'll use the word puritanical, but like a holiness-driven uh, discipleship devotion characterized my high school life. It was the classic... Okay maybe brethren, but a little bit too Protestant of like, you have your Bible, you read it by yourself. I'm saying that like the exact opposite experience of this whole robust kind of communal living that Ellie's getting at was the opposite of what I experienced. And so like, I have immediate friction towards this idea because I'm like, I've always understood like faith is you and God and it's alone time. Hmm. It's solitude. So it's like weird to just hear something along the lines of like, this should be proper theology. So like all of this actually Ellie applies to me like super well right now, because like, did you read a lot of Nowen, Henry Nowen too for it? I've just read snippets. Mm. Isn't he like some sort of Harvard wasp or mm. something? Oh, you want to, you want some elite, the intelligentsia. You need to check his story, dude. Do you know what he did? Do you know what he did? I don't trust it. <laughs> The 1%. No. What did he, he do, He heard Jackson? about the large communities that Jean Vanier started, and he left Harvard. Mm -hmm. He left Yale, I think. was that. He was at Yale, right? And he left Yale to go be in the large community in, at, at daybreak. Well, what's this large that he went to? It was probably better. He probably made more money there. Skepticism, skepticism. <laughs> uh, I don't want to... Okay, Ellie, can you explain what large is better? Well, probably not. I Like, it's um community that... Like the members are most people with some sort of disability and Jean Vanier started it and it's kind of, they have little Canadians, <laughs> French Canadian, but, but Canadian, <laughs> Canadian. And they just have communities all, all around the world. Um, and it's, they build a home mm. together and share life. Okay. So this guy, I have grudging respect for him now. 
What are, you've been reading him? He yeah. is my favorite Catholic ever. After Jesus and Peter and Jesus was like Catholic. I don't know what you're saying about that. Okay. Well, I don't want to answer that question. Um, with Henry Nouwen, though, like that's the reason why I'm so like captivated by what he did because he did the incarnation thing. He stepped down from prestige, from power, and decided to be with a community that like they didn't care how many letters he had behind his name. He was just like nervous, like, are they going to love me today? I have no power over that. Hmm. And to be exposed in a community in that way was yeah. something that shaped him so profoundly. And, and like, he did the thing. He did the humility thing, Ellie. And that's why I'm, I know that in my circles and the people that I'm close with, we're so focused on blessing others and sharing the gospel and being the ones that do the doing verbs. But what does it mean? to be broken and lead out of that space and actually understand that like, I'm not the all powerful evangelist. Like I need to be blessed too. And I cannot be a blessing unless I am blessed. Yeah. And I, I actually did read his book in the name of Jesus this semester. So yeah. I do know what you're talking about and really enjoyed the book. And Jean Vanier who started it is like, He's, it is a theology of brokenness where his like big thing is that through his time in close proximity with the most marginalized, the most disabled, it exposes the way that we're all incredibly weak. But but we kind of externalize it to the disabled. Yeah. That they're the weak ones. But as he learns their lessons of dependency, of community, he's realizing like, well, wait a second, this is my state. And I think that has, that was really shaped too at my time um, at Regent and just reading different theologians, different thinkers from different parts of the world and where their faith is, is grown in, in poverty or, um, or places of marginalization and just seeing from their perspective who Jesus was mm. um, and just kind of always, always siding with the oppressed, not the oppressors and always siding um, with um the downtrodden and so i guess that was never really um super clear to me before i was i was faced i was reading um people saying hey look at this is who jesus is he's um he cares for um for the needy before um before anyone else so ellie i the hairs of my on the back of my head mm. they're standing up which is always a signal that it's going to rain, but also a signal that Marxism is afoot here. I hear you talking about certain parts of the world. I'm here in South America. I'm here at Liberation Theology. I'm here in Radical Socialism for Jesus. But actually, I love that stuff. Are you talking about Liberation Theology, those kind of theologians, when you talk about that? Yeah, and just a lot of liberation theologians just say that actually Jesus' message message has impact on on politics, on social structures, on yeah. um, on how we how we do business, and it's not just about our souls or Sundays. Mm. And so, yeah, it it maybe does look a lot like Marxism. Um, I'm just joking about that part, <laughs> but the the point you're getting out of the brokenness is is totally right. Like they're. Their whole thing is that when you see the oppressed, you'll, Jesus is there because mm -hmm. Jesus is always in radical solidarity mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. with those who are downtrodden. Yeah. And so 
that that that's a challenge to Christians to go to the places where there's marginalization, but it's also a challenge to realize your own oppressed nature, mm-hmm. right? To be a person in need, yeah. right? Like to realize, oh, wait a second, even though I'm rich and I'm white and I'm a male and I'm very successful, I actually am fragile and weak. Mm-hmm. And mm. that is where Christ meets me. Yeah. So there's counter narratives in the church. I think we all love this rhetoric. We like talking about this, but it doesn't always activate in the life of the church. What do you see is like, at our worst, not always, mm-hmm. you know, because we're not banging on the church here, but like mm-hmm. at our worst, what, what other narratives are we putting in the center other than, other than brokenness or, or need? Right. Things that come to mind. Um, I mean, just obviously the one is the opposite is power, is ability, mm-hmm. things like individualism where, yeah, Jackson, like the idea that, you know, it's just mm-hmm. me and God and it only matters what I um, this this time of solitude is like the pinnacle of the Christian faith. So I think, yeah, self-sufficiency, interdependence. Wait, wait, wait. You're saying Dutch people in our brethren, Mennonite, Christian Reformed churches. You're saying Dutch people appreciate self-sufficiency? They would see that as important? Yeah. I can't believe it. I know. Shocking. What? Shocking, isn't it? Wait a second. My grand, my oma and opa. Okay, no, wait, I get it. Tanner, if I could jump in, like, we're yeah. if, if we're even going to, like, approach to saying that something along the lines of humility or brokenness is near the heart or the centrality of the gospel and where we find Jesus, I can't, Tanner, Tanner Hoffs, I can't find for you a leg to stand on when I think about the mega church. Mega churches have cool names like redemption and healing and <laughs> right. Broken, Mosaic's the, a good one. Broken church, LA campus and stuff. So like they love this stuff. At, okay, what do you at mean the expense of sounding like? too like poignant and judgmental. I don't see how a mega church squares close to the cross of Christ when it like when when what I see from it often is just more of this individualistic culture this consuming culture this like like whenever someone talks about like oh how many people do you have at your church like what are your numbers are you growing I just sort of like shrink and my heart says I think oh crap this program missed it that's fair. I think mega churches probably favor performance over participation, mm-hmm. you know, excellence, things like that. Mm-hmm. A pushback might be like there are like a mega church in Las Vegas that is known for um, having a lot of its members that are prostitutes and or former prostitutes and having an active ministry. I think there are mega churches that do this well. Mm-hmm. I'd be more cautious, mm-hmm. but I see what you're saying. Is that fair? Do you think mega churches a little bit? Ellie's smiling. Mm. She's trying to be careful. <laughs> yeah, I would say I have, again, try not to be judgmental. Um, but there are just ways of being challenged and being um, held accountable that that don't happen in, that don't necessarily happen in megachurches. <laughs> um, Very diplomatic. <laughs> maybe some of the things, some of these things aren't being preached at those places because they just don't have the same shine and Mm. so maybe it's not necessarily that it's a big congregation but just the 
the the teaching is is just not challenging because that that stuff doesn't draw the crowds well let's uh let's push back past the boogeyman because i think it's a little unfair for us to use the mega church as a punching bag because it's a little bit us avoiding admitting that it might be in our no, own smaller churches that. as well so let's draw a little closer to the center of this <laughs> a little closer to jackson's little heart large heart gracious large heart. what does this look like put legs on it what does it look like when brokenness fragility need are not at the heart of the gospel but but capability strength power are in our churches like what would it look like to have when we do this poorly when we do yeah i think i've heard it said this way that like what we value you know, what we value is going to be central in our worship service. So I'd say when we do this poorly, then um, oftentimes the wor- the singing is going to be held up in like the highest mm. regard or or maybe it's um, the preaching that it's held up. But right. I would say when there's a church who would slough off um, the Lord's Supper and would would um, or if there's not built into the church a time of confession, mm. um, I think that would be when it's nice. not really done super well. You know, I've I've really come to love um, the psalm the psalms that have lament. Mm-hmm. So when there's when there's not seasons in the church of times where people can confess and lament, then I think that there's a big chunk that's missing. Hmm. Ellie, when you were at Mount Carmel, uh, you led the service component mm-hmm. uh, every year you were there, or just when we were there? Yep. Okay, every year. every year that was your the impact program or whatever mm-hmm. it changed to, but. Uh, so supervising the volunteer hours that students had to do every week and things like that. Mm-hmm. I think that a lot of our volunteering, maybe in my circle or our circles, is very like, I will go and do something for the poor. I will mm-hmm. go and I will sort clothes to so the poor can take it. Or I can yeah. go serve a meal. Or I can go. And it's all about... Our capacity, really. Like, we're the subjects, they're the objects. We do the serving, they receive the serving. And so it's, it's not a form of service that's based on need. It's, oh, you're the oppressed one, so I should do something to help you. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, what is, how does it look different if you have this, this idea of brokenness or vulnerability when we serve? Yeah, that's... That's a really good question. Or did um, you did you struggle with that in Mount Carmel? Like, did you? How does? Yeah, how did it affect how you did that? Yeah, I like. There's quite a few of the organizations that we would work with are very like top down. Like, here is I'm going to stand behind this this fence mm-hmm. here, and here is what I'm going to give you, and mm-hmm. you can go along. And there's like a lot of good that that comes from that. And um, mm-hmm. really thankful for all the organizations we were with, but I think the ones that challenged students and myself the most were where you're going alongside someone. Um, and so, I mean, going back to Larsh, like there was a Larsh in Edmonton and oftentimes mm-hmm. um, there would be students who were there and where their weekly kind of reflections to me were saying like, I'm not doing anything. Like I just sit there and I play guitar a little bit and, and mm. I, I don't, I kind of hang out and we go for a walk and this is just like, what am I doing? Can, can I give you mm. an insider view? So <laughs> I started my six to eight hours a week service at Larsh as okay. one of my things. Okay. And mustard seed doing um, 
uh, clothing thing for the homeless, but also large. Mm -hmm. I went to a community in Edmonton, and the first time they have like they have in-house staff who live in the um, group home. I got there around supper, and I was like, "Oh, maybe I could help with supper." And it was like, "Well, no, they have supper every day, even if they don't have volunteers." Like. They just right. made it. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, maybe I can help with – and, like, there was a staff there. And I was like, I have no idea what I'm supposed to do. So I sat there for two hours just in a chair next to somebody I couldn't really communicate with yeah. and had no idea what I was doing. And came away feeling like I felt exposed. I felt vulnerable. I felt stupid and didn't want to go back. So I went probably twice more and I stopped. Because it was like, I don't like that. I don't know what to do. And did all my volunteer hours um, at the mustard seed for the rest of the year where mm. I helped give out clothes and I helped um, with meals. And like all things where I was the one who had something and helping those in need. Like I could not handle a theology of brokenness or a theology of need. It... it it was so radical to me and like, it's still hard for me. Mm-hmm. So I just, I totally get this. It is so difficult to believe that you actually might need to learn something too. Yeah. Can I make one more jab? I'm going to make one more jab. Oh, at me? I no, just no, no. was really vulnerable. <laughs> yeah. Here you go. Get ready. Hit buddy. Me while I'm so down. Okay. This language Tanner that I share with you about where am I most needed is kind of a framework that we use for it. Yeah. But like we have this understanding, like our time is valuable and you want to spend it in a place that is worth something. Right. Sure. That's how yeah. I felt. Yeah. Right. And every single word that I just said is a monetary economy, like language. My time is worth it. Oh, it's my valuable. Marxism and I spend it standing up again. Jackson. No, isn't it? Isn't it interesting how like we, we, we live in a way where we think that we must be doing something productive or worthwhile in order to like justify something. And mm-hmm. the complete, I think the complete opposite should be true of like, it's like, no, just be. And that has been such a central piece of what I read. There was a baby giving her right now. Sorry, Jackson. <laughs> she doesn't agree with my theology. Hey, sorry, Alicia. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, She's no Marxist. Should, should I? Do you need to? Yeah. Ellie's going to be five minutes. Okay, I'll okay. be quick. Okay, sorry about that. No problem. Babies, hey? Sheesh. Okay. Babies. <laughs> okay, Ellie. Uh, mm-hmm. Can I give a little bit of pushback for those who mm-hmm. are listening who are like, yeah, this sounds good. Maybe it sounds a little fluffy i don't know yeah like there's gotta be like discipline and we gotta do stuff right uh, i'm having trouble with the idea of does um having a the core of your church be like an identity like uh, a broken identity uh we are all broken people searching after christ and christ is searching after us something mm-hmm. like that mm-hmm. does that make for like a stagnant church because mm-hmm. my church right now um, is really based on mission. Okay. So our groups, when we meet, we're always pushing ourselves to like be with our neighbors more and, mm. you know, be in our communities and do things. So the good part about that is like, we're a very motivated church. Mm-hmm. 
the pushback I feel like when I'm in that situation is it's only the strong and capable who fit this system. That there are people who somehow get left out of a mission identity hmm. because they might be handicapped or they might be, um, you know, lonely or like that identity excludes some. But then I go, okay, what if our identity were something like brokenness? Well, I don't know if we would do very much. Hmm. Yeah, I I think that's really great because then we'd all just like, we'd all just be sitting in a circle and crying or something. like <laughs> Or like, yes, or at yeah. least focused on our community, maybe mm -hmm. more. Inward looking versus. Yeah, possibly. Yeah. I don't okay. know. Yeah, I would hope that maybe it wouldn't stop at brokenness, but that it would be, um, maybe you could even like change the wording to say in need of redemption. So mm -hmm. there's like kind of, I mean, even changing that, it's like a, a movement. Yeah. You could be a missional church with a posture of humility. Hmm. Maybe more of an idea, you know, um, Tanner, I'm not on one side of the fence and saying like, okay, come come over here, but I'm actually going to be coming beside you and we're going to say, hmm. you know, life is really hard and we don't have it together, but I have this place where I'm going and and it's hopeful hmm. and, it's, and it's bright, you right. know. Hmm. So I think there can be movement and... Yeah. and should be yeah but with sure. this idea that like we are all figuring it out so. okay practically mm -hmm. um i got three p's presentation pushback and practical hello <laughs> very nice <laughs> <laughs> talk about this shaping your life how has it changed one thing that you do different now that you've kind of stumbled into this and it's you've chewed on it for all these years i think um over my I really want to be quick to fix my my, my own problems and yeah. other people who are coming to me with, with different tough situations. So I think I've been a little bit better at just being able to um, listen. And so over my years at Carmel, like I, I think I, I shifted a little bit more to not necessarily having to fix and answer the questions and mm -hmm. like, here's the answer now go and this is how you need to change and everything um to just being able to sit in and say hmm. oh that's that's heavy or that's really crappy hmm. to give that a little bit more space than i used to wow. okay. so i don't like still this this idea of like i need to fix and and it can't suck like i it can't yeah. hurt um yeah. i think that i've been able to well at the best of times, being able to sure. just hold a little bit more That's all space. we can say, the best yeah. of times. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I don't know. I think that'd be one thing. Jackson, you, you've been on this, Henry, Henry Now and stuff. Mm -hmm. Give an example of maybe a way it's changed you. Mm -hmm. Like, it's, it's along the lines of what Ellie said, too, about to just sit with someone in their brokenness. And I think the deeper thing is to let people into your own mm -hmm. and to let them sit with you in yours. And that's mm -hmm. been a big challenge for me to to move from my individualistic, me and my Bible stuff to allowing others to love and serve me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and then my question to you is maybe like, what does this look like with motherhood? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Like, this is new in your life. This is something. Yeah. But there's a couple new moms in my building mm -hmm. that are my friends that telling me like just the amount of like mommy blogs and things like that mm -hmm. that aren't showing true brokenness in being a mother mm. like the amount of perfectionism that creeps in right. like how did how does it affect you so far 
are you like so sleep deprived you have not had this thought process (laughs) i'm surprised i'm actually keeping this conversation going right now (laughs) (laughs) like barely holding on no um i i think that's really um yeah it's it's been a totally new thing um one thing that was really difficult for me is like at the the first like couple months of after Alice was born, I had I struggled with, I think like looking back was postpartum depression mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and that was really, I mean not to the extent as some people, but that was really difficult for me, um, who wants to look like I have it all together and yeah. um, mm-hmm. and to. Like, you know, in all my other experiences of life so far, I've, I haven't ever had to to struggle with something like that. Right. So even having people come over and sharing, like, I feel like I'm trapped and I feel right. like I, like, this is not what I expected and I don't think, I can't really see a way out of mm-hmm. it. Like, I, I think that was being able to voice that, like you were saying, Jackson, like being able to share yourself with other people, not just, you know, the one-sided mm-hmm. thing again. Um that's I've had to really push myself to to open up Um, so I think that was one thing that I still like to not compare myself but also to share like this is hard and and I didn't expect it to be so difficult and um, so that's yeah I think that's kind of the biggest biggest way that's powerful it's such a powerful example of like it's so hard to be vulnerable with people like mm-hmm. for you to even voice out to your friends. It's mm-hmm. like a, a theology of need is so difficult for us, mm-hmm. but then it's also like, it's true to our humanness. Like we are really broken. Like mm-hmm. you would have still gone through it even if you hadn't been able to voice need because like we're really fragile. Mm-hmm. Well, even when you share with other people, it, I think like, vulnerability begets vulnerability like Mm. it just it it allows people to say like oh like yeah that i had a hard time with that too and um it just kind of levels out the playing field and and just creates pretty good space that's really cool thanks ellie Mm. (laughs) um i don't know is there anything else you wanted to mention ellie um yeah i i think this is all great is it where you mm-hmm. thought the conversation would go? That's uh, the trick. That's the trick. No, part. I think I think this was like good questions and good. Like it's it's great to hear where you guys are at too with and like sharing some of your journey and this is just. Does nice. it depress you that one of your Carmel students was like so awful and like <laughs> stopped Larsh right away and stuff or like <laughs> no. oh wow no it's great loved hearing it and you are not the only one Tanner she's gritty mm. her teeth she's. <laughs> She's making a fist with her hand. But you're at Regent now, so look at where you're Yeah, at. and now no, I'm at Regent, kidding. so I mean, look at that progress in right. my life. Tanner, oh. she has the power to retract your Christian diploma. And oh, no. I can't yeah. let Regent know that I don't have that. <laughs> Don't tell Wayne. Don't yeah, that's right. <laughs> All right, well, I think that's for it for us. We might save listener mail for another day. Mm-hmm. Is that cool, Jack? I'm down with that, yeah. yeah. We love you who email us, and we'll get to you soon. Sorry about yes. that. Yes. You're all amazing. <laughs> Jack, where can people reach us if they want to ask questions of Ellie or ask questions of us or just talk mm-hmm. about it, talk about their own experiences? Uh, in a more formal way, you can reach us or private formal way is at our uh, thing. 
uh, our email account. It's uh, the it's just desiring brethren podcast at gmail.com. Not super fancy, pretty boring. And and how can the the hip young kids email us or reach us? Uh, truthfully, it's not hip anymore because Facebook is from the past, but. We still use it. We're probably not going to get on Instagram. We likely won't get a Snapchat account. So going to have to put up with the early 2000s version of social media. Yep. Check out our Facebook page, Simon Brothers Podcast. And Ellie liked it. Thanks, Ellie. You <laughs> probably like yesterday. That. I saw that. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we are almost at 100, which is a big triple digits is coming up. That's huge. So, uh if you are if you are the hundredth like, I mean, I don't know, we'll have you as a guest, I'm sure. <laughs> Just like all the <laughs> other guests. Yeah. Signing off for Dave as well. Uh, please mm. send money and help to him. Uh, I am Tanner Haas. I'm Jackson O'Brien. And I'm Ellie Krugman. <laughs> Hooray! Ooh.